Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. This is a podcast for anybody who's interested in reinventing what education is. I'm Rob McLeod, and as always, joined by Brennan O'Leary. Good morning, Brennan. Good morning, Rob. Great to see you. And today we're going to continue our conversation from last episode. We're going to talk about the security school. Last episode, if you didn't listen to it yet, go back and listen to that because this will probably make almost zero sense without the context from that episode. Uh, But in summary, we are hypothetically walking into a community, an environment, and an isolated island where one of the values that we talk about here on the show that influences education, we're talking about one of those values in an environment where it actually is a great fit and makes sense. And we're starting with the security value, which if you are an integral fan, you would call the amber value. And if you're into spotodynamics, the blue value. So the security value is what we're going to look at today. Anything else to say before we get into the continuation of our, our school visit? How quickly can you, um, can you wrap up our spiel for people that are brand new and are refusing to go back and listen to the previous episode? Well, for those dissenters, essentially, Brendan and I, we're interested in how schools develop. We're looking at different values that inform what education looks like. So essentially, we've got the security, opportunity, inclusion, and integration values, which mirror the stages from either Frederick Lelou's work in reinventing organizations, uh, mirrors the stages of the integral model and also mirrors the stages from spiral dynamics. So if you're familiar with those things, that's you know kind of the way we're looking at education. Uh, and if you're not familiar with any of those things, don't worry. We're trying in our own way to lay out how we see school looking in these stages. And that's essentially what our podcast is all about. The other thing that I think maybe we didn't quite touch on last week as much as we should have is the idea that, that school has three purposes. It can um, serve the citizenship, as in it will build up your social and moral kind of education and teach you to be part of the the, the community you're in. Or it can uh, prepare you for work and uh, the world of employment. And a third value that's emerging more recently is that it may lead you down a path of fulfillment as an individual and work on your own skills, talents, dreams, and hopes. Now, of those three aims, each of these big value systems that we've looked at, the security, the opportunity, and the inclusion, they would have more of a focus often on one of those three aims. And I would say what we will see in this security-minded school, uh, you'll hear more talk and more of the school being aimed towards the idea of citizenship or what we might call self-discipline in service of the wider community. Yeah, and with each of these values, like you said, each puts a little bit of a different priority or emphasis on one of those three aims, the cultivation of citizenship, the occupational preparation or self-development. And we're also coming at this with the idea that each of these values has completely different ideas about what education should look like. And we see that across the communities and cultures, across the systems and the way they structure their environments. We see that through differences in activities and as well how resources are used and what those resources are. 
and as well in the individual level, like the actual beliefs, the personal stories and the narratives and reactions of the individuals involved in all these. So as we go through these three values and try to articulate kind of a hypothetical version of where this type of school would be a best fit, we're trying to look at all these different aspects to, to kind of point this out. And we said this last episode, but in my words, I would say right now, one of the biggest challenges with trying to reinvent or even just develop or change the way we approach education is that these three or four values are calling the shots on education, but they're all happening at the same time. And we used, I think, the analogy of like a fruit punch last week. If you have some kind of blue juice and an orange juice and a green juice and a yellow juice and you mix them all together, you get this kind of brown consistency and those flavors get mixed together. And what we're attempting to do here is present the three or four values, I guess we should say, in isolation so we can get a real sense of their flavor and what they're bringing to this fruit punch of education that we're experiencing right now. So that once we can see them and we can see how they are trying to shape what education is, we can then see that and work with it as opposed to being kind of oblivious to it, but kind of intuitively knowing it's there. We're, we're creating a map that will hopefully be useful for school leaders, teachers, students, parents to approach education more consciously, but also just with these things pointed out to them as sort of like key acupuncture points for how to change what we're doing in school great analogy there you you hippie fruit punch acupuncture all my favorite things and the school we're going to portray here is the healthiest iteration that we could think of everything in this school is is running smooth as clockwork because the context it's in is also really well suited to this school um one of the last thing I'll drop in here is that we keep switching between saying three values and four values. And the reason for this is there's actually four we're looking at, but the, the security, opportunity, inclusion values that are already in existence out there in the world. We also have this developing integration value that takes the best of each of these for the context. And so we are looking at these uh, schools in the best context for them so that we can take out what we call the babies and the bathwater. We can take the best things from these schools in their ideal context. And so that when we come into a real world context, we have this bigger tool bag to work from. And so when we approach an issue within our school or a question, a problem, something we want to achieve, we can look at it from a security lens, an opportunity lens, or an inclusion lens because we have those in our integration tool bag. So this is our kind of series of thought experiments to get us into that position. Shall we launch into it? Yeah, let's return. So we've met the, our head of school at this security school, very trustworthy guy. And, you know, he's sat down and talked about the context, the idea that students are entering a very structured work environment. They're going to have a role to fulfill in society. They'll have a duty. And, you know, from a 2019 perspective, this almost sounds like a little bit kind of like medieval times or, you know, a, a little bit like feudalism. You know, it sort of sounds like people have set roles. There's not a lot of social mobility necessarily in this world. But the trade-off is it is a very secure place and the things won't 
likely change in an instant. And that's all really feeding this kind of core operating system of, of security. So we're in the school, a school bell rings, and the day of school begins. And the day we are seeing could more or less be any day, but you know, there's a few special events going on in the school. So we look in and the first thing we notice is that everyone is prepared. Teachers aren't running around at the last minute making photocopies or anything like that. Everyone's prepared. Everyone is ready and set for the day. Things are secure. There's a teacher at the door, maybe with some of the other staff members who are welcoming students into the school. There's a real sense of community here. The parents, they are part of this, but parents are welcome to socialize outside the school gate. And that in itself allows for like a strengthened sense of community in the school because the parents have this real sense of togetherness and security, knowing each other. And there's a real, real sense of family there. Students enter and show up promptly just before the bell rings. We don't have any late running students here. Everybody knows when they're supposed to show up and, and fulfills that. And the bell rings and children walk inside in neat lines. They've got their uniforms on. They're carrying their bags. Shoes are tied. Their ties are straightened. Blazers on. And each student says good morning to Mr. Whoever as they're walking in or Mrs. Whoever as they're walking in. There's this real sense of proper greetings and the way to do something respectfully. And there is this real sense that routine reinforces tidiness. So there's not really a sense of reminders needing to be given. Um, it's just through repetition that we practice how we put away our school bags, how we change our shoes, where certain things go. There's this real sense of repetition, which in itself is great to build this sense of making sure things are orderly, tidy, and secure. The children go to their classroom just for a few minutes, where the teacher will take attendance, and will return to the classroom soon. However, the next bell rings to announce that there is an assembly. Everyone knows there's an assembly. The children dutifully and uh, sensibly walk down into the hall, where they will um, they'll sit in nice neat lines and there will be uh, a story an announcement maybe a few songs everyone will know the procedure and they'll follow it and they'll follow it as it always is the head teacher may lead it or somebody in authority they'll welcome the boys and girls they will say the date they will remind them of all the things that are upcoming and they're essentially telling them a lot of things they already know it's a reminder it's very secure everything's going to go as we expect it to and as it has since the dawn of time it looks very similar to the assemblies that parents of these students would have sat in. There's a clear structure, clear order. The approach to this isn't being reinvented every year with new zany ideas. Through time, we've tried things, we found the time-tested best way to do things, and that's that's how the gatherings are done. And the values probably never explicitly said, but more likely be said, this is what we do. And even more likely, it would just be an example of what we do through stories. So this would take place for about 15 to 20 minutes or so. If the school had a religious element, this would be a part where maybe somebody from the local religious group would come in. And I'm aware that our example potentially in the minds of many of our listeners looks like a very westernized church-based system. However, this kind of security value school exists all around the world in, in many different cultures. And so it is important for us to see that the school that we're visiting could take place in many different places over many different time frames. So the assembly finishes and the children, as is the case, always will go back up to their classroom and the day will begin in earnest. So we walk into the classrooms 
And the first thing that jumps out to us is desks are in order. And they look like a very traditional classroom where desks are in rows and they are all facing the blackboard, smartboard, wherever the kind of main area that the teacher does most of their teaching from. Students should be making notes or at least take in and listen to what is being downloaded to them. The teacher knows what they need to know and is sharing what they need to know with the students. The teacher might throw questions that most people should be able to answer. The questions are not so much to challenge, but rather to reinforce some of the information, some of the key ideas. And when answering a question, students might even stand up behind their chair and answer the question. And it could be that everyone has to provide an answer via some sort of an order system, like the teacher just simply going down the class roster, the attendance list, and just saying name by name. So you can't really hide in this sort of setup if you don't know the answer. Your name will definitely be called at some point. And largely, we notice that the lessons are mostly about knowledge and mostly knowledge-based There are facts you need to know. You need to know the names of the Great Lakes. You need to know the names of state capitals, these sorts of things. And it's often through a more lecture-based style that the facts are being shared. And probably the key ideas are being written on the board, and it's expected of the students that they will write those things down into their own notebooks and be able to make notes on these things for themselves that they can go back and reinforce this learning possibly during their homework time or if they need to study at home. So a lot of what we'd see from the way the teachers talking to the children is what we might see as leading questions, where maybe they will elicit a very simple answer that every child in the class is ready to answer. So they may ask something like, would we run out into the streets without looking? No, we wouldn't. The idea is to reinforce this and to learn by rote. The idea of critical thinking is not necessarily in these lessons because the people in authority know what is needed and it is being shared with the children. And if the children internalize it and use it, it will serve them very well in their lives within the security context. The number of children in the class could be quite large. I've seen security schools with anything from 30 to 50 children, often no classroom assistant because the teacher is in charge, they have the authority, they give the task to the children, the children know what the task is, the children are able to complete the task. So when the teacher has finished the instructional part of the lesson, maybe the first 20 minutes or so, that they would then present the students with a task based on the input that they've just been presented with. Every child would be given the same task. Some children may finish earlier than others, and there could be an expectation for those children to do more of the same kind of activity. Now, this is an idealized situation. So the teacher would know that there are some students that will finish quicker than others. Therefore, they can do this activity with more ease. Now, other children may take longer. Usually, the expectation would be that these children would take this work home and their parents would help them to complete it. So all the children would dutifully attempt the activity they would do their best to fill in the work to the best of their ability try and get everything as correct as possible they would write the date in the correct place usually they would follow all the conventions they would underline their titles and they would use their best cursive writing what would happen then uh, towards the end of the lesson as the bell is about to ring the teacher would collect in the work they would take it away and they would mark it outside of the classroom it would be handed back to students in the next lesson 
uh, with any mistakes noted for them to fix. The idea here is that you have a task to do that should be within your grasp. If you have listened carefully to the teacher and you've internalized these messages and this information, you should be able to complete the activity accurately. If you've been listening, you should know this material, you should be able to do the work, and likely if you're not able to do the work, it was likely a result of you not paying close attention to what was being shared with you. And in this case, we wouldn't see that because every child in the class has paid attention, they've internalized, and it is within them to be able to complete this activity accurately. And correctly. And properly. So the bell rings. The teacher does collect in all the information. Children will get the books back in the next lesson to, to fix any mistakes. And we don't see a time at the end to share. The bell rings, that is the end of the task, and the children will move on to the next lesson. What we've just seen is an ideal day. But of course, with students, sometimes there's variables. So maybe a student might be in a bad mood or a little bit sick, even though they're still wishing to be dutiful. If they are sick, likely they would go to the nurse, First, they might be asked to tough it out a little bit, but then if really they are quite sick, likely sent to a school nurse. And as far as resistance goes or like refusal to do work, we don't see that here. But we ask the teacher, like, just hypothetically, what if students don't want to do this? And basically they look at us like, what do you mean? They just, they have to do it. And should a student kind of kick back a little bit, they would be punished and likely miss their break times. Teacher is fully in their right to get angry at the student and give them a good telling off. And really this is because it is for the student's own good. Because any moment that a student isn't upholding their sense of duty, they're showing the opposite cultural value that this school is trying to secure in them. That value being security. We're trying to make sure that we have a safe, reliable, stable society where people fulfill their roles and do what they are supposed to do for the benefit of all. And that even zooms down to this little microcosm of if someone's refusing to do a worksheet, we'd be afraid years down the road that that person, we couldn't rely on them in our society or in the workforce. So we want to make sure this is corrected now because it's being done in the student's best interest so they can have a secure lifestyle and a secure living once they're out of school, but also for the greater good in the larger society. And something we noticed when we looked at what was actually asked of the students inside the lesson and also for their homework was that it was kind of pitched towards the lower end of the class in terms of ability. Now there's the bottom 20% who they just won't be able to do it. And as we mentioned earlier, parents would then help at home, especially in those primary years. But even as they get up into middle school, the homework would not be essentially very challenging for an adult that had been through this system. And in our scenario, all the adults have been through this system and they all have those bodies of knowledge and skills that would be expected in this security society. And so when their children bring home the work, and we will talk a little bit more later about the the home school links, but in this particular context, when these children bring home their homework, the adults will be there to help them. And they will essentially make it so that the next day when they go back into school, they have completed all of those activities and demonstrated that skill and knowledge that is expected. And there is the real belief here that you learn and you know something best through repetition. So what's happened in school gets repeated at home and you hear these things multiple times until they're reinforced and until you know them. And if we look at how a unit is put together, 
or is assessed. Usually most of the learning is done around a topic, a very specific topic, so it might be the seasons or something about looking at trees or forest animals. And all of the lessons that are occurring, all of the information is good common sense. If you're studying this topic, it, it makes sense to know the names of the trees or the parts of a plant. Everything's really common sense knowledge. You, you wouldn't question like, well, why would you learn that? That seems strange. Everything seems very concrete, very clear. And there will be a test in the unit. It's either announced well in advance and has been planned months ahead to ensure that it doesn't conflict with any other events happening in the school, or you might have a pop quiz. And although a pop quiz doesn't sound like a very secure thing because you don't know when it's coming, the reason pop quizzes are used are just to reinforce that you always need to be doing your homework, always do your repetitions, because you don't know when you're going to need this information. And for your own security, you're better off to always be practicing what you've learned in class so that you are ready for any surprise pop quiz that, that might show up. In a security school where perhaps behavior is a bit of an issue, where it's not as great of a fit compared to this one, pop quizzes might be used as a bit of a punishment. If you think students haven't been doing their homework, you may just throw in a pop quiz to make sure that they are, and the students clue in like, oh, I, I need to be getting back to doing my homework. And what we would expect to see in those quizzes are a lot of labeling, what we may call gap fill activities, where you have a sentence with one word missing, matching up vocabulary to its definition, or presenting back to a teacher the information that had been given to you directly in a class. There's very clear right and wrong answers on this. You either had the right answer or you had a wrong answer. There's no ambiguity. Things are very black and white, very clear here. And so one of the classrooms we went into, and this happens a little bit more, I guess, in primary, but all the way up we saw this, is that there were roles and duties inside the class. They were often assigned directly by the teacher when the job was needed. So, for example, there was a board cleaner, but the board cleaner would be called on to clean the board as and when this was needed, and the teacher would always choose Jane, for example, because she's such a reliable student. So she would choose the same students over and over again to carry out these assistant duties because in twofold one, we want to be able to rely on that person to do the duty that we're asking them. But also we want to show other students in the class that if you do your duty, you are doing the right thing and you may be called on also to help out. And that's usually seen as a good thing to be a helper and to assist those in authority. And part of upholding your duty isn't only reinforced with the students. There is a sense of upholding your duty as a teacher as well. So the syllabus and the curriculum, it's really based on a textbook. It's not up to you to kind of take a curriculum and reinterpret it for yourself. It's more about being able to follow a textbook. You might draw from various worksheets from other resources, but essentially there's probably some kind of textbook that's at the core of whatever subject it is that you're teaching. And, and as far as testing about what has been covered in class goes, really what we want to see is that what has been talked about in class, what has been studied, that's what's showing up on the final test. And really the final test shouldn't hold any surprises in it. If you've followed along and if you've done what has been asked of you, that final exam, that final test will just mirror exactly what has gone on in class. Now, there might be some higher order thinking that goes on, for example, like a rhetoric class, where you might learn how to construct arguments, common sense arguments, common knowledge. But by and large, most of the learning that is happening is based around clear-cut knowledge of things that are already well-known, well-established facts, 
and making sure that you know those. Uh, what, what we saw in the security school when we started to ask the teacher about their assessment or their tests is that although there were no specific percentages, it seemed to be that about 30% was based on the, um, the marks of these tests. And there was somewhere between 50 to 70% that was more or less based on a teacher's assessment of what was happening in the class. And they would base this on how enthusiastic the students were in answering their questions, how quickly they would respond when they were asked to provide some information, and essentially how well they performed their duties in the class. Were they coming on time? Did they have all their materials? Were they ready to do what was expected of them? And then these tests were a top-up on top of what was essentially seen as that a teacher would really just know from being with these students and teaching them and looking at their work, they would have this kind of gut feeling or they would have this kind of, they have this sense based on their own experiences and backed up by their own authority that they were in the right position to make a decision about where this child stood in the rankings of the class and how close they were to knowing and being able to do what they were supposed to do at this age range in this grade. And with that, I would use the word teacher discernment. It really comes down to the teacher's discernment. The teacher knows, as you're just saying, what a child should know at this age. And sure, we're creating very straightforward tests. You know that you that you know better than some test. And there is a space for the more personal side of viewing a student. They're not just the numbers that show up on a test. And there is this sense of the teacher's professional opinion from their authority. Their discernment really needs to be included in any kind of assessment about the student. Because there is this larger culture of really trusting the teacher. And so, yeah, we have essentially spent several hours in different classes and we've seen, I would say, the full gamut of lessons that are taught within the school. And as we'd expect, we've seen some mathematics, we've seen some history, we've seen some language, we've seen some religious education, possibly some moral education, some sports, some science, some arts. And the music class was pretty cool. It was more focused on kind of like whole class choral singing, which when everyone sings together, it is actually a really beautiful thing. No one's trying to be the star of star of the show there's no uh, America's Got Talent moment where someone breaks out from the group and does a solo. It, it's just everyone singing together, working together in, in harmony and unison. And together, all those kids, all 30 of them in that class, sounded better than any one individual student could. That was a nice little metaphor moment I noticed in the music class. It was beautiful because we also noticed this. And now we're sounding psychotic because clearly this is not a real place that we've ever been to. But um, When we were observing the sports lessons, similarly, there was a lot of work on teamwork passing a lot of drill work but but there were games played which were very heavily focused on teams playing together we'll get maybe we'll touch back on those a little bit more we're going to have a part three in the next episode there's so much to talk about with this school i'm really enjoying digging into it and just like letting our imaginations run wild within this pretty strong framework of what this school looks like so just as we're wrapping up i do want to acknowledge too you know this is now two full episodes and we're not even halfway through our notes we have prepared for this this security school yes of course this is a hypothetical place that doesn't actually exist and this is a thought experiment yet everything we've talked about in this episode and the previous episode are things i have seen somewhere between 2010 and 2019 in schools in canada schools in germany and schools in belgium and i'm sure certain aspects of this you've seen it in the schools you've been in in england 
in Japan as well. So although we are putting these together to create an artificial world that, of course, doesn't exist in isolation like this, every single thing we have talked about so far, you can find in a school in 2019, even in progressive systems. We're kind of pointing out where public education originally came from through the Prussian model, you know, roughly just over 200 years ago. And although certainly aspects of what education looks like have changed, have evolved over time for sure, a lot of this stuff is still with us. And everything we've talked about here, you can find in schools nowadays, but just not in isolation like this. Yeah, and I think we are doing our very best to present the healthiest and most positive iteration of this school. We're suspending our disbelief at every one of these steps. We could have said, yeah, but but what would have happened in the dystopian version or this would never happen. But we're doing this, I guess, to really show that if you have this security mindset, this is your ideal. This is kind of what you're looking for. And so if we're, we've talked a little bit in our other conversations about offering solutions to people from a different value system. And for Every person who is whose ideal is this security value system, when they see a problem, they would want to solve it using one of the things that we are describing in this school right now. So if you see a problem in your school, or if you see a problem and you're talking to someone in the security mindset, and you offer a solution that doesn't kind of fit into this ideal situation we're describing now. Or another way to say it, that is coming from one of the next two values that is an opportunity-influenced solution or an inclusion-influenced solution. It's just not going to land. Right, they're, they're going to ignore it or dismiss it or feel very uncomfortable and threatened by it, as we all would be when somebody gives us a solution to a problem that doesn't fit in with our values. One way I've discussed these values recently is to describe each as their own matrix, if you will. So just like Keanu Reeves he was in this matrix and realized that everything is sort of like interconnected and self-reinforcing. Each one of these values in their own way is their own matrix. And as we were just saying, a solution from another value is likely not to stick because at the, at the basis of every action, every community decision, every way that a system or an environment is structured, at the core of all those things, you can trace them back to the value. You could take a look at something going on in a school and keep asking, but why? why, but why, but why? And eventually you'll get back to because it makes us more secure. It, Or rather, I should say, it supports security. It supports opportunity. It supports inclusion. And there is the chance that we might take an action. And across these matrices, we might do the same thing. And it looks like we are in agreement. But as soon as you start to ask the why did we do that, and you start to trace it back to the value that sponsored or informed that action, you might realize that although you and I are doing the same thing, we're doing it for completely different reasons. One of us is trying to meet our need for security, one of us is trying to meet our need for opportunity, and one of us is doing the same thing because they see it as something that could reinforce inclusion. And this potentially would lead you to a deadlock. And what we're suggesting is the fourth value, the integration, allows you to see that each of these things is the most appropriate or the best in its own context. Um, so yeah, let's keep digging deeper into this infinite rabbit hole and map out that worldview. Brennan, this is bizarre but interesting to do with you. Thanks for this. Yeah, good time, John. We hope this episode has been interesting. If you want to connect, we're on Twitter, or you can join our private Facebook group just searching Reinventing Education Podcast. 
Request and we'll let you in. We're kind of building a community there. So far, it's kind of been sharing news stories that reinforce our narrative about the four values competing against one another in education. But let's see if we want to organize to do more than that there. Feel free to pass this episode on to others who give a damn about what's going on in education. From Brendan and myself, attention is a valuable thing these days. Thanks for having some of yours on what we're saying.